Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. And as is always lately, we neither walked nor run today. We need to readjust our lives. But we had coffee, as we always. We did have coffee, right. <laughs> um, so what is astonishing you well, right we, now, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording this podcast. I had a meeting last night with um, the beautiful and wonderful elders of Derrida Church. And, um, you know, I was saying to you earlier that um, I was seeking to engage them in a dialogue about uh, some of my observations about the ministry. And I think it landed on their ears as criticism and um it really bothered me. I did not sleep well last night. I tossed and turned and um, had a lot of negative self-talk about my leadership communication style on and on and on and on. And um, I was taking Matthew to school this morning, and I don't know about your car, but uh, my car automatically connects to uh, my phone via Bluetooth, right? It's supposed um, to, yes. And uh, whatever, um, you know, the last app that was open, if it's uh, audio or video, it will just start to play. And so I got in the car this morning, taking Matthew to school, and apparently the last thing, last app I had open before I turned my phone off for the night was YouTube, and it started to play, but the volume was down um, in the car. So he gets out, I'm on the way home, and I just happen <laughs> air quotes happen to turn up the volume and a TED talk comes on <laughs> and the person giving the TED, TED talk said something like are you doubting yourself <laughs> do you have issues communicating with people have you been um, talking to yourself negatively how's your leadership going and just all the stuff I'm wrestling with and um, it's like, this must be providential. This must be the Lord. Um, but they go on to say, hey, arrest those negative thoughts. Uh, it's not going to help you in the situation you're in. Um, part of failure is learning from it. So don't wallow in it. Mm -hmm. It, this is a growth opportunity, mm -hmm. and it, it was exactly what I needed to hear, and I pulled into the driveway, and uh, that verse from, I, I should know where it's from, but uh, uh, I think it's Lamentations, where it says, um, the, the mercies of the, the, of the Lord are new every morning, mm -hmm. and I'm telling you, like the, the sun, the morning sun, <laughs> there was this like ray of, it yep. was golden light. And you heard, oh that hit the house and it was like like this ray of gold light was hitting our house and out just our front lawn and the dew on the grass was shining and you know I, I really felt terrible last time I mean I tossed and turned and in that moment I felt a real renewal and peace I mean I, I have some work to do to follow right. up with with those folks because I love them and the thought that I might have miscommunicated in a way that hurt them, um, it's just, it's, it's a weight on me. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure I, I follow up with folks. But I needed that moment of grace because I was really kicking myself. Yeah. I think it's so interesting um, 
just to really figure out what it looks like to have right expectations of community and right expectations of other people and right expectations of yourself. Leadership, yeah. And I think like we live in a culture that says if you're really hard on someone, that is how you will, um, that's how they will flourish and perform. So like if someone, if you can make few people feel really bad about their weight, then that will motivate them and they will make changes. And if you can make somebody feel really guilty about their sin, then that will motivate them and they will, you know, so just that sense of, I think when we're hard, especially on ourselves, we think like, all right, I, um, did something, you know, not great. So if I can just beat myself up about it a lot and make myself feel really, really terrible, then the next time I'll have that muscle memory of pain and I'll do better. I mean, it's the same thing as like, if a child does something wrong, you spank them, like you, you have them cause pain so that they associate the memory of the pain with the choice and then they won't make it again. And I just think, um, what we know neurologically and sociologically is that that doesn't work. Um, and that what we need to be able to do is have compassion and curiosity in hard places. And so, and I think a right expectation of community, both for everybody involved is to say, Hey, we are going to have misunderstandings. We are going to have moments of miscommunication. None of us are fully aware of what we are thinking and going through much less what someone not that who is not inhabiting our own body is thinking and going through. And so there are just going to be times when we, when things land in a painful place. And if we can learn not to bury it and ignore it and not to cover it up with anger, but to, to say, okay, this, this hurt matters. And I want to be curious about where is the Lord is in this? Um, you know, if it's a simple matter of, Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And now I do. And I, or it's a matter of, you know, someone heard me say something that I didn't say or I mean whatever it is but if but if we can feel secure enough in our belonging that we can come together and have a conversation without feeling like our identity or our worthiness is at stake then I think those moments of missed connection can actually become really um, generative spaces for growth and healing um, so I, I think that that's really important. Like, and I think that's part of the work of demystifying what it means to be a pastor of just to say, Hey, I'm, you know, we're trying to be friends here and we have different roles to play in the congregation, but not better or worse, not more or less. And your pastor doesn't need to be revered or controlled <laughs> that we are, you know, walking together, following Jesus, and the person next to me is is my brother, is my sister, is not a um, a person to be used or a trap to be avoided, right? And so, just to be able to come in and have a conversation where we all we all want the same thing here. We all want to be faithful. We all want to grow in our faithfulness. And I, you know, I know just I know you so. 
is not your intention to hurt someone. And so if you go into that conversation and people say, oh, here's how we can help you understand why this hurt us, then that's a gift. (laughs) And if people can understand and have some curiosity about their own reaction, like, why did I hear this? To say like, okay, well, you know, what healing do I you know, need to receive. Um, it was really interesting. Yesterday, I was driving my youngest home from dance class, and she was really worried because her teacher, she's in first grade, and her teacher had said to the whole class that the teacher was going to write a class dojo message, which is like the app for communication that the schools use in elementary school, but not in middle school or high school. So you got to constantly navigate all these different platforms, but that's a different conversation. But the so class dojo is what they use, which my first grader calls class Jojo, which makes me really happy every time Love she says it. it. And she, she, my daughter was saying that the teacher had told the whole class that she was going to send all the parents a class Jojo message because the kids hadn't been following the rules. And so Carrie was telling me about that and she was really concerned and had I gotten this message and I was like, well, I... I haven't checked it yet and I'm driving right now, but when I get to a stopping place, I'll look and hey, if we, if there's a problem, like we'll figure it out, right? Like you're in first grade, it's a brand new school year. It's, you know, it's not the end of the world if there's a rule that you're having trouble and she's just sort of so adamant that like, no, I'm following the rules and I haven't done anything wrong. And, and, and then she started saying like, you I know you're always talking to me. She's like, I know you're always trying to support me, but you're always talking about other people. And sometimes I know you're trying to support me, but it doesn't feel like you're supporting me. And I just thought it was so interesting that she's six and she's just like navigating sort of knowing my intention, but then also knowing how she feels. And me as a parent wanting to say, you know, if you don't feel supported by me as a six-year-old in a new environment, like, well, that matters to me. And so I'm glad you know that I want to support you. And like, I really need, like, want you to help me understand um, what can I do to make sure that, because I was saying to her, like, oh, Carrie, I'm I'm always on your side and I don't need you to be perfect and it's okay if you made a mistake and you know and but it was real it's just really interesting that um even in these relationships that I think are kind of so pure and and we're at an age in first grade where like it's it's just kind of in some ways a really I don't know. I don't want to say an easy age of parenting, but like my kid is, she loves school and all she wants to do is please her teachers. And she, you know, like it's just everyone's interests are aligned and it's still hard. Um, And so how much more hard is it when you're talking about people who are not (laughs) all part of the same family and do not like wake up every day and like cuddle and give each other birthday. I mean, like, you know, like it's just hard. And I think that, um, I wish that we thought more about spiritual warfare in terms of the ways that we misunderstand and misconstrue and misinterpret one another's intent and the way that we dismiss our impact with other people and just like the way that the enemy of our souls plants thoughts in our head, whether it's 
you know, you're not worthy or these people don't think you're worthy and just being able to sort of resist those thoughts and say, well, Lord, just show me what does it look like to walk in love with people, even when it's painful and even when it's misunderstanding and even when we can't agree, um, show me a, a unity that's deeper than agreement. Um, yeah, when we were talking about this earlier, you said something that um, I wrote down. You said um, everyone seems to be moving in anxiety these days, mm -hmm. right? And you don't see your anxiety or others until it bumps up against right. someone else's anxiety. And it's like, oh, there, there's an issue here. Um, and even then, you can simply react Right. Right. In anger, fear, whatever, without examining why am I feeling what I'm feeling? Well, and I think we were talking earlier about this Sunday. We're preaching <laughs> this Sunday, God willing, we're preaching on um, Gideon and that first or maybe it's the second instruction that God gives Gideon to um, tear down the Asherah poles and build an altar. And just sort of that thought that before deliverance comes there's this spiritual work of tearing down idols which are you know false ideas lies that you are orienting yourself and paying attention to and worshiping so tearing tearing those down removing those and then building an altar building um in this case a physical structure to um you know sit before and contemplate God and orient towards the goodness and the truth of God and worship that. And I think, you know, part of it is when we're walking in anxiety, that idea of saying like, okay, well, why do I have anxiety? Like, why do I have anxiety? Well, it's because I want something and I might not get it. Um, or I, I fear that something might happen and I can't protect myself. And in some ways, and I don't mean this in a like, hateful judgmental way I'm talking about me like when I want something and I can tell myself that I want it even if it's not God's will for me <laughs> or like I want something and I just think well it must be God's will for me or I am afraid of something and that's because I don't think that God can or would deliver me from it like I mean those those are idols to be able to say well at the end of the day I gave my life to Christ so if if the Lord calls me to pastor a church for a season and then that church closes down or fails or I don't get to pastor anymore, I'm still a disciple. Like I, I walked into this life as an act of obedience. And so if the Lord calls me somewhere else, that's within the Lord's prerogative, right? And if I'm afraid something will happen, but the reality is the Lord is sovereign. And so what God doesn't deliver me from, God will deliver me through. Like those, if I'm, if I'm really deeply oriented on the altar of the Lord, then I can sort of surrender my wants and my fears and walk in faith and not anxiety. But if I'm not doing that work, and let me just be clear to everyone who's listening, don't be fooled. Like I am not regularly and consistently doing that work. And I say that not to excuse myself, but like, don't hear me as if I have everything together because I don't we're all just working out our salvation in fear and truth no but I am trying I am really legitimately trying to grow in this because I think there was a time in my life where I was like yeah yeah I'll get it someday and now I'm like no I mean I cannot be the person that God is calling me to be and I cannot be faithful in the ways that I really desire to be faithful until I get this 
until I get this right. Because that change came through crisis, right? That change came through crisis and continues to come through crisis. Like I'm pretty good at kind of being self-aware and managing my reactions when I'm close to homeostasis. But when something bad or scary or disappointing happens, that's when it's really easy for me just to be lost in I mean, just like you were saying, like just lost in pain, lost in negative self-talk, lost in fear, um, lost in anger and not being able to rest. And like, you know what? I'm not in control. You know what? I'm not powerful. I'm weak. You know what? God is sovereign, not me. And so anything can happen. And Jesus is still risen and, and I can rejoice in it. Right. New opportunities. And like, absolutely people who love and are loved by God fail and people who love and are loved by God, you know, have really difficult seasons that they have to walk through and tragic and unfair things happen to them. And, you know, things that they do, um, don't bear fruit in a season or even in this lifetime, like all of those things are part of the human experience. And we were saying earlier part of the experience of humans fully alive in Christ. And we were saying earlier that we keep trying to market Christianity as like, get right with Jesus. And then your life will just be exemplary, right? You will, your kids will rise up and call you blessed and you'll lose 20 pounds and you'll succeed in business without even trying and you'll be healthy and you won't wrinkle and like just all these things, like you will be winning and then your life will make people think like, Ooh, I'll have what she's having. Right. That is how we hope that life with Jesus works. And that is how we try to market it. And when life is hard and we're going through dry seasons and dark nights of the soul and things are just not good, we're embarrassed and we're ashamed and we hide it. But the reality is the promise of Jesus is come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest and take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and the burden is light. Like the, the promise isn't come to me and I'll give you anything you ever wanted. The promise is come to me, renew your mind in me, and then... I will, you know, in Christ, you will be able to do all the things that God is calling you to do, which might be like I was listening to Pete Scazzaro was saying, like the power that we have as followers of Jesus is the power to die, right? It's not the power to, I mean, setting aside the whole power to kill thing, but just this idea of like, look, I'm going to resist these powers and principalities and forces of spiritual wickedness. I am going to resist them even and up till and through death because the Christ is so strong in me that I, I want to choose. I don't have to, I want to choose resistance. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not, um, I'm not afraid to be rejected. I want to follow the Lord as faithfully as I can. I'm not afraid to mess up. I'm not afraid for a, a brother or a sister to come to me and say, hey, you've messed this up. And when a brother or a sister comes to me and says, hey, you've messed this up, I'm going to listen. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to nod and say, yep. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to say, you love this person and you know this person loves you and you know this person is being as sincere and faithful as they know how to be. And also, you know, you can't 
you're not in alignment here. Like, it, and, and it doesn't matter. Like, it's not like the person who's right is superior to the person who's wrong. It's just, this is where we are on our, on our growing and our becoming and our coming alive in Christ. And we can accept one another in our weaknesses and those who are strong will bear with those who are weak. And either way, Jesus is on the throne and is sufficient. Um, so, yeah, but I do think it's really interesting to say how much of the times do we feel good about ourselves as pastors when things are happening in the church that look good and how often do we feel bad, not only about ourselves as pastors, but as, as followers of Jesus, when something is going on that looks bad and to recognize like, okay, then it really wasn't about me and Jesus. It really was about how I appeared to mm-hmm. the people around me. And that's not to like beat ourselves up, but just to notice and go like, okay, God, can you lead me deeper into a place where I really authentically have peace and not a peace that comes from not caring, but a peace that comes from trusting you because I've had experience of you being faithful in wildly unanticipatable ways in hard times. Anyway, sorry. Thus ends my soliloquy. <laughs> well, what what is astonishing you? Um, I I don't even. I mean, I just want to talk about what happened at the church on Sunday, and it both oh, does yeah. and completely does not astonish me. And I guess that's what I need to start out by saying is like I'm not astonished by this, but I'm marveling at it and giving thanks to God for it. Um, so we are um, both, like we both love to preach and we both spend, are, are grateful to be able to spend a lot of our time preparing and getting ready um, to share the message. And this week we are, we're preaching the same sermon series right now, which is really fun, always fun and rare. And this week we um, were planning to preach on Rahab, um, which is just. You mean Hagar. I'm sorry. Yes. Hagar. Hagar. I'm sorry. I preached on Rahab recently. Hagar. Um, and that's just such a deep, like powerful, um, just heavy story that we don't focus on enough in our churches. And so I, I was both deeply intimidated and really excited um, to preach. And I, I came to church on Sunday morning and all of a sudden, like, I just felt awful um was nauseous and dizzy and like like lying on the floor in my office like trying to work on my sermon just like and I keep telling myself like okay in 20 minutes I'll feel better in 20 minutes and I you know like I'll just eat something and then I'll feel better and it and I get to the church at um usually at seven on um Sundays or that's when I like to get to church and then um so I kept telling myself like I'm gonna be better I'm gonna be better and then finally it was nine o'clock and I was like all right like I'm not better. And I was really just didn't know what to, to do. Um, because on the one hand, I very much know that if you're sick, you're sick and God, you know, is not a slave driver and it doesn't honor God to believe or act as if you're indispensable and you're the only one. Um, and on the other hand, like I was excited and prepared to do this and I love, to worship with my community and I was excited to deliver this word and that I'm literally like I am afraid that if I stand up on the platform I'm going to fall over or puke either of which would be extremely disruptive <laughs> to the worship service and you know I know that we feel the same way about this like 
obviously in worship, there's a moment that comes where like we are standing up and everyone is listening to us. And especially in that moment, I don't want to be at the center of that moment, right? Like you really want to be invisible in that moment. You want people to be not focusing on you, not thinking about you, not like it is, but really solely on God. And so I'm like, you know, if I pass out or puke, it's about you. Right. (laughs) It's like, I really don't want that. So it was nine o'clock and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I just don't, I just don't know what to do. I don't know if you just like get up and you're like, I'm going to trust God and God will, or if that's like ego talking and you should just be able to say like, Hey, I'm not feeling well. And then also like, like logistically, literally, practically, what do you do? And service starts at 10 and I need to decide now, because if I can't do it, there's a huge difference between finding out 40 minutes before a service starts and like once a service starts. And I have been in a service where a health crisis of a member happened in the middle of the worship service and like paramedics had to come in. Like, it's just really hard to know what to do. Like you don't want to act like the person in front of you, their health crisis doesn't matter. And you also just don't know if you should still be worship. Like it's just real. Anyway. So I called our friend, Nicole Thompson. And I really called her because I was just like, I need someone to tell me what to do. And um, she said, well, the fact that you are calling me means like this has never happened before. This is not who you are. Like if you don't think you can do it, you can't and you need to go home. And so I was like, okay, well, will you like somebody has to preach, like, will you preach? And I said, what I've always known is if there was a moment where someone, like the, something happened to the preacher and someone had to step in the pulpit, um, you ask them to read the Sermon on the Mount. You let Jesus preach. And she was so funny. She's like, well, what I need you to do is stop thinking about the worship service and go I home. Right. So I'm just like, yes. And, and I know, like, I know her and I know that she, um, is just runs deep with the Lord. And I know God and I know that God is faithful and I know that I am not essential. And so, okay. Like, and I leave and, and she texted back to check in with me later on in that afternoon. And I was asking her, well then, no, actually I start getting messages from people who are like, you know, Nicole was just fire. So she got up and preached on, preached the text, like preached on Hagar and just like the Holy Spirit just like blew the place up. And, and I both like, it's such an amazing thing to just be, just to sit in the space of, I'm so grateful. And I so marvel at, that's definitely my experience that like you, the Lord is the one who preaches, right? And I'm 0% surprised that Nicole would be used by the Lord in that way, that she was ready, that she, like, I, like, I'm in no way am I surprised. And I'm also just deeply, I mean, astonished in the sense of like, look how good God is. Look how faithful God's Holy Spirit is. Look how beautiful the people in this congregation, how just faithful and brave um, and how God is no respecter of persons in the sense that like God didn't need me to preach that message on Hagar. Cause I sort of thought like, Oh, I'm really sad to me- miss this. 
I'll, but I'll do it next week. And then I'm like, no, I won't because the congregation doesn't need another message on Hagar because they got a message on Hagar. And I really, at some point, I'm, I'm half seriously wondering if the Lord didn't strike me down <laughs> so that um, she could give that message instead of me because it just um, was beautiful and right and more than sufficient. And um, I think it's just a, like, it's a nice counterbalance to the other story of like, we are weak as humans. And if God wanted angels to lead congregations with no weakness and th then God would have them. And we, in moments where we as pastors can honor and center God enough to tell the truth about our weaknesses like God can just do incredible things and I think as pastors we sort of especially pastors formed in kind of mainstream American culture we just think like all right I'm going to be as good as I can be I'm going to give my best every day I'm going to give 130 percent and if I just am the best then the people are going to be so blessed and to say that is the way of the culture it is not the way of the kingdom um, and the way of the kingdom is my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so you can rest and you can get sick and you can tell the truth about, hey, something went sideways at this meeting. And can we can we get curious about it and, and seek the Lord together in it and ask God to make it a blessing in our community and not a curse? Like that's all just really um, deep resistance to the forces that are trying to separate and divide and enslave us and a way of the narrow way that leads into the fullness of life in the kingdom of God. So, Yeah, you and I had worked on the text together. And yeah. so when I tuned into your YouTube channel on um, Monday afternoon, yesterday afternoon, I was surprised to see Nicole preaching. What happened? And uh, now that I know the story, it, it really is amazing. And it reminds me, you know, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about spiritual gifts. And one of the things that I've taught for a long time is that, you know, there are some gifts where, you know, people say, I have the gift of X, Y, Z, you name it. But with all of the gifts, God can manifest any of them at any time through anyone. anybody right. according to the situation and the need and the desire of God's heart. So it should not be surprising to us that, okay, God wants a word spoken. We manifest that gift in Nicole in that moment because you were sick. And I... I listened to the sermon and it was it was great. Right. It was it was clearly <laughs> right. led by the spirit. And the other thing that this reminds me of once again, and I I really did not get this early on in ministry. I, I was really clueless about this. I, I thought I had to be the hero of the right. congregation to earn right. my keep. And if I was not nearly killing myself I wasn't in being the ministry faithful. that I wasn't being faithful. And it is a reminder that this is our work together, that mm -hmm. we do this, that, you know, liturgy is literally the work of the people. Right. And anything that you or I can do, anyone can do. And not everyone might be called to do it, but it's just, you know, I think it's just, it feels so good to be used by God for God's purposes. It is such a deeply pleasurable experience. I mean, I suppose not always, but often it feels so good to do the thing that you were created to do. And it's really um, important just to recognize that everyone should have that feeling and have that experience of what it's like to like be in flow with the Holy Spirit. And we can't 
rob the people in the body of Christ of that experience by turning ourselves into ministry doers and people into ministry consumers. I was going to use that exact word. Right. Yes. And I think and it's really hard. Get, the more I appreciate seeing God work through others. It is beautiful mm -hmm. to see God working in people. And I think what we have to recognize is like, I do, there's nothing wrong with working and having zeal for the work. Um, but we have to recognize the way that the culture we live in, the way that we commodify people and the way that we worship work and performance and ego, like we have to recognize that we actually don't know. And I, I think about this a lot. Like I genuinely don't know what is enough. Like what is enough work? What is enough rest? I don't know because coming up in this culture, my context, my it's just so warped that I don't know what healthy is. It's like, as I think this is true of almost every American woman I know that you look in a mirror and you can't see, you can't see your own body because, or your own face or your own whatever, because you're seeing it through the context of like all of the messages that you receive all the time about what is acceptable and what is beautiful and what is unacceptable and what is ugly and what is offensive and what is, you know, and so it's just really hard. Um, it's just really hard to know what reality is. And I think it's really hard when it comes to ministry and when it comes to work and rest, which is a foundational part of being in relationship with God, right? Like the, the preeminent stories of scripture are the creation stories from the beginning like work is not a punishment. Work is a gift. And so um, to be freed from work is is not a reward and to be and to work is not a curse. Now, the after the fall, <laughs> the way that work was malformed in the fall that now you will like by the sweat of your brow, like wrestle, like work became a not a gift, but a but a, a fight <laughs> um, like that. But work itself is a gift and rest from both the very beginning of the Genesis story and in the real origin story of Exodus is all about what is work that is healthy and what is work that is slavery and who is allowed to rest, right? That, that we are people who are um, living out our God given identities and destinies. And therefore we rest and it's not a rest is not a curse and rest is not a luxury. Rest is essential. And just all of that is so out of whack. And I think for pastors, especially, we feel like, oh, gosh, we need to conform to and exceed the culture's expectations of what is enough work, because we think, well, the spiritual work we do is more important than the quote secular work that other people do. So we have to work as hard or hard. We have to work harder than the hardest working person in our congregation or else we're telling the story that God isn't important. And so we reinforce the dynamics that we ought to be um, challenging and, and transforming. And we, so I think like for me, I think as I was lying on the floor this morning or to Sunday morning, like part of what I was wrestling with is like, it's my ego that wants me to power through. I want the experience because I enjoy it. And I kind of want some people in the congregation to know like, Oh, look at her. Like she, she cares so much. She might, right. Like I, you want that like 
faux martyrdom thing. And just to say like, that is not healthy. And, um, and the Lord provides and there are people right here that are ready. Um, and so I, I just think all of that is really tricky as, um, because our, because our context is really broken. And then when it comes to work and rest, like, I think there are a lot of cultural norms that the church is very critical of, but I think when it comes to work and rest, the church just swallows it whole. And we just think like, not only are we not challenging them, we are, um, we are reinforcing them and even exceeding them. Um, so that's hard. Anyway. Well, <laughs> what are you, what are you thinking about? Well, what we are thinking about, what we've, what, what we said over the past three weeks is that we would talk about the prime minister of Finland. Right. Um, Related. <laughs> yes. Right. It, right. It is, it is connected to everything we've been talking about. Um, Sana yeah. Marin. Oh, see, I was going to look up her name, but you've oh, got it. I had okay. it up on the, Sana Marin is the prime minister of Finland and she's in. She was 34 when she was elected. Right. Mm -hmm. I think she's 36, 37 now. I think 36. And she is involved in a scandal. Oh, wow. Yes. Dancing of all things. Right. She was recorded, a video leaked. She was at a private party Correct. of all adults. Mm -hmm. um, they were listening to music. They were dancing. Um, people were holding cups with beverages in them. No one, to me, I watched the videos, like everyone is fully clothed. <laughs> no one is really even touching one another Correct. like there's no sexual element to it at all people are holding cups which presumably have alcohol in them but no one is like visibly inebriated or intoxicated Correct. it is i mean and look it up because you will not believe it when you see it it is a group of young people dancing and being happy and um to me it looked like they were trying to create a tiktok video yeah, maybe. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it's been the scandal in Finland and beyond. Mm -hmm. And people have been saying that her behavior is unfitting for a leader. People demanded and she said, OK, people demanded that she take a drug test because they felt like she was using illegal substances, which she was like, I'll take a drug test. And I and she passed it. And it's just has un it has uncovered this conversation about like, what do people who lead, what do they look like and what do they act like? And people are saying, you know, essentially what people are so uncomfortable with is seeing a young woman resting and relaxing and rejoicing who has a role um, with power and authority in the culture. And so, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, men traditionally most powerful leaders are men and videos of men leak talking about you know sexual assault and it's a scandal too well, and but not only videos leak but we have in this country when a president is on vacation and they go play golf oh what a wonderful thing they 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 know how to rest right or and also sometimes people give a hard time i mean i think it's just part of the harder conversation that we don't know there's no acceptable standard there's no common consensus about what is hard work what is too much work what is too little work and often 
the way we see, evaluate that is formed more by how much we like or agree with the person who's doing the work or resting than it does in any sense of like a common mature understanding of work or rest. And um, yeah, I just, I think it's really interesting um, because so many of the ways that we perceive authority and value are associated with the physical personhood, not just of men, but older men. And so um, it's just interesting that this woman wasn't doing anything wrong. And the charge is, well, you're not a real leader, or a real leader wouldn't have done that. And I and I, but when there are scandals that are, I mean, it's not a scandal, but like when there's a video leaked of an older man saying things that are dishonoring to women or, you know, I, that then the question is like, well, is this guy still a good guy, but not, is this something that a leader would do? Because it just is like de facto, these are the kinds of behaviors, you know, if, if someone embezzles money, it's not necessarily a disqualifier of whether or not they could be a good leader, because this is just the kind of thing that often people who have been given the platform of leadership have done. But dancing with friends in a 36-year-old woman's body, that is not something that people with a platform of leadership have been doing. And it, you know, I remember when there was that big scandal when um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had just been elected to the House of Representatives and they, in someone like, unearthed a video that she had made as a part of a class project at Boston University. So she was a college student. And in that video, she was dancing with friends. Again, no substance abuse of any kind, no touching, no scanty, scanty clothing. Like it was just young people dancing. And it had happened 10 years ago. And it was still this idea of like, that person who danced on a rooftop in a college movie making project 10 years ago could never be a valuable leader in our country because that's not what leaders look like. Um, And the irony is that we are in an election season in this country and politicians go out of their way to appear like normal people. So in their commercials, they put on their blue jeans, they take off their suit jackets, Mm -hmm. they appear in grocery stores, say, hey, I'm a regular person. But when there's a world leader who actually is shown in real life with friends, it's like, we have a problem with that. So we we can't distinguish between what a thing looks like and actually is. Well, and also just like, I think we feel like I'm not safe unless the people who are ultimately in charge are like, you know how when you're a little kid and you revere your teacher and so then when you see your teacher in the grocery store, you're like, what? Because you, you really believe that your teacher is like plugged into the wall in the classroom when you leave and unplugged five minutes before you show up because their whole life is just fulfilling this role in this room. And we sort of, when it comes to our leaders, like we want that to be the case. Like if you're going to be the leader of a nation, I don't want you to ever for one minute do anything that is unrelated to keeping me safe. And so even though we know that 
rest and um, recreation are actually essential for being healthy and that being healthy mentally and spiritually is essential for leading in a healthy way. Even though we know that, we still have learned to revere sort of the selfless martyr who who kills themselves or neglects their family and, you know, in service to the greater good. Like we have such an unhealthy and warped understanding of what it means to be faithful. And interestingly, like some of it, people will say, well, it comes from Jesus because Jesus, you know, was like martyred on a cross. But it's so interesting that when Jesus was living, he was so free to steal away and go and rest and pray and spend time at tables. Well, he was criticized by the Pharisees for eating with eating and drinking and and sinners. Right. So Jesus had no trouble knowing when to engage and when to disengage and how to form relationships and modeled that all of those things. Okay. Now there was a moment of extreme sacrifice um, and total self-giving, Every moment wasn't that, right? And I think one of the things that we learn and we should learn is that Jesus, we look at Jesus and we see son of God. We look at Jesus and we see God, but we also are supposed to look at Jesus and see human. Like this is what it looks like to be a healthy and flourishing, spiritually um, unified person. And that is a person who rests, a person who can walk away from need, a person who can be misunderstood without lashing out a person who can accept people at the stage that they are. But I think it's just really interesting how offended, because there's obviously a gender dynamic to that, um, to that story. There is a gender dynamic, but I also think there's just a dynamic of, and people are saying it like the country is in crisis. How can you be having a good time with your friends? Like clearly you don't care. And I do think there's some senses that even if, if the prime minister had been, a man or a young man, there still would have been this thought of how dare you even for a moment not be stressed and in agony because if you're not miserable, you don't love and you don't care and you aren't working. And it's just, I mean, I just think it's really revelatory. The disciples in the boat, storm, Lord, don't you care Mm -hmm. that we're going to drop? Why aren't you as stressed out as we are? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just really important to look at that story and look at our own lives and say, are there times when we resent other people's peace? And instead of trying to seek that peace, our instinct is to say, I need to bring you into my anxiety. Right, or It's not fair. I'm unhappy. So you, ha- you know, should be too. So yeah, I, I've, I've just been thinking about that and wondering about that for a long time. And, you know, this is one of my takeaways a lot when we preach on Palm Sunday and we preach about the donkey. And to me, the donkey is one of the preeminent symbols of Christ and just says so much about what, what holy power and holy authority and holy strength look like, like the power to serve, um, the power to be humble and meek. And, you know, we always, I think as people sort of say like, Oh, it's terrible the way that leaders, abuse their power and it's terrible the way that leaders betray their trust or whatever. But I think, you know, we continue to reject people 
who show up in humility and who show up to prioritize service and who show up sort of riding a donkey because we don't find that impressive. And so we follow people who show up in power and strength and brutality and violence. And then we think, well, why, like, why are they acting this way? Or why can't any of these people be good? And I just think ultimately, you know, we are responsible for the leaders we choose to follow. Like, why aren't there more leaders who want to show up in the world riding donkeys? Why aren't there more leaders in the world who want to show up resting and cultivating relationships and mental health? It's because we don't follow those people. And some of that is on us. And we think, well, I want a leader who basically, you know, self-immolates and burns themselves up, but then we get mad when they want that from us. I'm like, well, yeah, we, we are worshiping at an idol of demagoguery and then it it destroys us um, and when we see someone acknowledging their limits and their humanity and resting we just are so offended by that and we we think well that means they have nothing to value and yeah, we see yeah. it as weakness mm-hmm. so well um, we've talked for a long time. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what God is doing at Derrida Presbyterian Church, it's D-E-R-I-T-A. And they have a new website, and it is DerridaChurch.FaithLifeSites.com. Sites is S-I-T-E-S, FaithLifeSites.com. Um, Derrida also has a YouTube channel and a podcast on the Podbean website that you should check out, worship and messages there. And you could worship with them if you're in the Charlotte area or just, you know, passing through at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Um, and if you want to find out more about what God is doing at The Grove, um, you can go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org, and you can check out our podcast and our YouTube channel, um, The Grove Church Podcast, The Grove Church, Grove Charlotte YouTube channel. Look for the green tree because there's a lot of groves out there, except no substitutes. You can come worship with us at 10 on Sunday mornings in the sanctuary where the dress code is wear clothes. And um, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>